0: Good morning everybody. Uh, one of the things we're going to look at today is the glory of God um, and that glory is promised to be within us uh, and uh, not only now but at the second coming of our Lord and we will uh, be able to behold that glory and it will shine through us. Uh, at the second coming of the Lord, it'll shine through us in a way that we have never imagined, and that is promised, as we'll see in our passage. Uh, I likened this to a filament, a filament in a bud. I love these cool lights; the cooler the light, the better. I'm I'm jazzed about lights. But so, <clears throat> you know, if you know the, if you ever heard the story of Thomas Edison, he went through like something like ten thousand different filaments to find the one that would eventually work. Uh, this one's a little bit different, but you know, the ones that we have in your lights at home or incandescent lights uh, are tungsten, which emit this uh, the whole spectrum and a really wonderful bright white light. Um, and and you know in a filament like this, the reason why I use this bulb is because you can see the filament as as electricity passes through the filament, it emits light. And when this is happening, the filament is changed. Uh, In the same way, the glory of God shines through us. And here in time, we can shine this light. And this is what Jesus told us to do. He told us to shine our light. He said that in uh, Matthew 5, that you are the light of the world, that he made you the light of the world. This is through faith in Christ, faith in your Savior. He made you the light of the world. And he said, let your light shine. And he described what that shining light would be, that it would be your good works, that others would behold and glorify your Father. So Jesus didn't allow this glory to be some, you know, thought experiment, that, you know, something that I imagine to be true or it's actual good work, the light that shines through us results in work that we do that is in obedience of or obedience to our Lord. So, this glory passes through us. How we allow that to happen in this life, it's not rocket science. It's faith and obedience. And through faith and obedience, there's a promise. And as we'll see today, there's a coming promise that is attached to the glory that you experienced with Christ now in time. And that's when he returns. Uh, the world is upside down right now, uh, and always has been. Uh, since the fall, since the fall, uh, there is evil, there is unfairness, there is injustice. And I'm sure there isn't one person in this room to which injustice and unfairness has not touched. And touched greatly. Or you know someone to whom it has touched greatly. There's countless, countless stories of people, Christians included, who have been overrun by injustice. And we say, and, and a lot of people say, and we will say at times, God, why are you waiting? What are you doing? And God is going to assure us today, as he does throughout his word that he is doing. He's not silent, absent. He's not an absentee landlord. He's doing. And that doing, if we, are, if we can discern from God's word what he is doing, then we'll be able to do this in a dark world. And we'll see what the darkness is for today. God doesn't need darkness. But doesn't this light, if we shut off all the lights in here, which I won't right now, but if, not that I could, (laughs) but if if we shut off all the lights in here, this would shine brilliantly. Our eyes would be attracted to it, but it wouldn't, this light doesn't need darkness to function, does it? It doesn't need it. It's It functions well on its own. The glory of God doesn't need darkness, but in darkness. The glory of God shines. It has an opportunity to shine on a stage that allows its brilliance. That's why God doesn't need sin. But God has made it this way. This is his sovereign will that this world would be broken. He did this. There's no way around it. God is sovereign. He didn't lose control of anything. This place is dark, it's unjust, it's unfair, it's full of sin, it's full of evil, and God purposed it that way. And it, it's in that theater that God chose to shine his glory. And now God has allowed us to do the same. Uh, let's, uh, we're going to sing, and we'll pray first, and then we'll sing. Turn my light off. That's going to be on again later. Just so you look. when when you start falling asleep, I'll be like click click click. <laughs> you, know, you know. So uh, anyway, uh, let's uh, pray. I just wanted to say uh, keep Roger Bennett in prayer, please, uh, as he is. Um, well, he needs prayer, as his wife does, and his family that are supporting him. Um, we're grateful for them who are supporting him. Uh, so pray for them. Uh, and my wife, Chris, uh, had surgery on uh, Friday, and so uh, Friday, right? <laughs> I don't know what day it is. Uh, hopefully, it's Sunday. Yeah, that's why you're here. Uh, and uh, yeah, she's doing good. She's doing good. She's recovering. She's in pain, but uh, that's she's young and healthy, and you know the surgery went well. Um, so we're very grateful for that. And. Uh, so, with that, and of course, as we get ready to take in God's Word, let's all bow our heads and pray and be thankful to God in humility for His instruction and, of course, His Son, our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we come before You, a group of Your children, Asking for your intervention (coughs) into Roger's life and into his family, that your will will be done. We know that, Father. But we also know that you will do what we ask. If it's in your will, Father, we ask that you heal, that you strengthen as you see fit. We ask that you comfort and you guide, and that you will always do. If we have ears to hear it and to be comforted by you, we will be. We thank you, Father, for your comfort that comes most of all through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who went through the most amazing discomfort to provide us with the comfort that you give us. Eternal life in you through him. By faith and faith alone, Father, have we been made free, made new in you and in him. You've given us the Holy Spirit as well so that we can discern in your word the plan that you have for us, each of us individually. Uh, It's unique to everyone, and Father, we ask that each of us show discernment and understanding by the power of your Spirit. As we hear your word, Father, we grow in grace and knowledge, and our faith increases. And let us understand, Father, through your word what this world is really about in our lives, so that we may navigate our way through life with wisdom and your power. And we know, Father, that coming someday, perhaps someday very soon, will be our Lord and Savior to give us rest eternal. Until that time, Father, encourage, empower us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All rise, please. a place. Let's begin in Second Thessalonians chapter one. We've been uh, slowly but surely pl- prodding through Second Thessalonians chapter one, and um, <clears throat> so we we see uh, suffering of the people of God in this world. We see the pe- uh, suffering of of many people in this world, uh, the weak, the uh, underprivileged. The poor, sick, and and certainly uh, Christianity is persecuted. Uh, Christianity is not the only persecuted people, uh, but uh, we see that persecution does occur uh, throughout history, throughout the world. Uh, we see the cruelty, the power, the arrogance of evil people, and so we see a world. That's filled with injustice. And for this, uh, many protest against God. you know we we look at the surface of it and we say, well, God is not in control. Uh, you know, it obviously doesn't look like God's world by any means. And we wonder, and we look at our own lives as a great uh, psalm seventy three seventy three I'm sure, I think, <laughs> I should not say I'm sure. Uh, it, where, you know, there's a, a man who's following God and he sees the wicked prosper. And he says, why, why am I suffering so much for God when these wicked people have an easy life and an easy go of it? Maybe, perhaps I'm wasting my time. Uh, and, and then he settles that. He settles that in his heart as you per- proceed through the psalm. You see that this man went to the house of God and perceived in the word of God. So in an evil world where we do protest about God, we say why doesn't he do something? If you look into his word, you find out that he is doing something. And that's the only place you're going to find it. You're not going to find it on social media generally. You know, there's some there's some stuff out there that's good. Hey, uh, even we have a Facebook page been visited by two or three people, you know, but uh you know, but God is doing something. What would Moses be like without Pharaoh? What would David be like without Saul? What would Christ be like without the Pharisees? Or Satan when he's being tempted in the wilderness? What is Star Wars without Darth Vader? It's no good. Right? You need Darth. Right? That, uh, that opening battle where Luke, he's just a novice, and he's fighting the, uh, you know, the most excellent emperor here, and he's holding his own pretty good, You're cheering for him. God doesn't need evil. Some early church fathers struggled with this question and thought, well, if God is sovereign, why is there evil in his world? God is sovereign, therefore the evil is his purpose. And so we say, well wait a minute, how can that be possible? But it doesn't mean that God caused it. Now, and what we have to do here as believers is not philosophize our way out of reality and think because we look at things on the surface as far as we can see them. How smart are we really? Do you think you're smart? If you do, good luck with that. You'll find out. If you think you're smart, you're probably young. <laughs> and if you think if you think you're smart and you're old, then you've just been deceived a long time. <clears throat> Ain't none of us smart, but and we evaluate God, and we say, this is fair, this is unfair, this is how you should do things, this is how you shouldn't do things, and, and we get ourselves in a bunch of trouble. What we need to do is simply trust the fact that God is sovereign, all right? Now, God is sovereign, which means that this world is his design, but God does not sin. God cannot lie. He cannot sin. He hates sin. He hates evil. He has allowed it to happen. That's the best we can do is say he allowed it to happen, but he has also caused it to happen. And we as humble human beings with finite little minds must as children say, there's something here I don't get. Just with children. I was trying to explain to Maggie the other day how money works. Good luck with that. She's six. She's six years old if you don't know her. She, she didn't get it. I was trying to explain to her my wife's surgery because she's curious. She's like, why is mom sick? Is there something wrong, you know? And I don't want her to be afraid. And I'm trying to tell her that there was something inside mom that had to come out. And then and then she's looking at me like, and now I'm thinking she probably thinks, you know, like you know the movie uh, where the thing comes out of the guy's belly, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> Aliens, that's the one. Love that movie. Uh You know, and and I'm just digging a hole here that's even worse. And I'm like, uh, can she understand it? There's no possible way. What does she have to do? Trust. Trust her dad. Isn't that what we have to do? This world's crazy. Our lives are... You know, as bad as bad as if, if you truly want to know God and, and glorify God, uh you are going to struggle from within because of sin. And there's no there's nobody who doesn't have that struggle. Not one. And so and God is gonna be here like, yeah, see this light, this I am in you. But I'm riddled with sin, uh huh. But I'm still in you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. It's been hidden from all ages past. Revealed now that Jesus Christ is in you. Colossians 1.27. And he's in you forever. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Not by works, but by faith. And he's coming back to get you. If you die beforehand, you're coming back with him. Uh, that don't think that you're going to be sleeping in the cold ground or anything like that. You're absent from the body, face to face with the Lord. When he comes back, the dead in Christ shall rise, and they return with him. So, does God need evil? No. Did he create evil? No. In fact, it's the other way around. Evil needs good. You realize that's a wonderful thing to understand. That evil is a perversion of that which is good. Therefore, evil cannot exist unless good exists first. Dualism doesn't work. Dualism, like there's a good God and a bad God and they're fighting it out. You can't have a bad God. Because badness is the perversion of goodness. Like power can be evil, but power's not bad. Power is good. God has all power. Wisdom. Is good. Everything. Risk taking is good. Feeling good is good. We pervert it with drugs, alcohol, sex, and so on. And so God does not eat evil. So why the evil? Well, you know, I can't answer that for you fully. You know, we're all going to have to wait for eternity and ask some more questions when we're there. Uh, But evil gives good its opportunity to shine like this light. If the room is dark, it shines brighter. It doesn't need the darkness. It's just that good in a dark environment is more prevalent. God has chosen sovereignly to shine his glory in a dark world. So when I start complaining about why everything's wrong, God in heaven is saying, hey, hey, I designed it this way. You're complaining about my design. But God, you're all good and perfect. You couldn't have designed this. I'm sovereign. I did. Now, there's a lot of things here you're not. your little brain's not going to understand. But know that I'm in control. So the bad things that are happening in this world, the suffering that you're going through, I have allowed it all. So what should you do? Try and stop the badness in your life that's coming against you. No, no. You can't do it anyway. You will stress yourself out mightily. Shine my light in the dark place. It's exactly what the Lord did. The Lord didn't come into this world and say, boy, I better clean this place up. Now when he comes back a second time, that's exactly what he's going to do. So the, the two Advents are not identical. So look at uh, 2 Thessalonians 1 5. We have not this is a plain indication, this is here is. Uh, this, uh, this is, if you, in your Bible, if, you're in, if you have it, uh, a more modern translation, this is should be italicized. There's no words in the original language for this is. It just starts out with a noun that says, well, what you have in New American Standard is plain indication. Uh, it's a word that means a token or a proof or evidence. So here is evidence. And what is the evidence? In the context, first. The Thessalonians are suffering. They're suffering terribly at the hands of their, their neighbors, their friends, their family. And we've seen why that happened. They have a completely abandoned the pagan world. And the pagan world hates them for it. You know, you don't run with us anymore. You don't roll with us anymore. What's up, homie? You know, I don't pull that off very well, but you know. You will suffer in a world that hates Christ if your faith and love and endurance increase. It's just a fact. You will here is evidence of the of what? And after dot dot dot, if you see it there in verse 5, the righteous judgment of God. God's judgment is righteous. Is he going to judge the works of all people? Yes. Even our own. As believers, there's a judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10. Our works are going to be evaluated, and we're going to be recompensed accordingly. Uh, so in a world in this world you're going to suffer and the life of faith, love and endurance will shine with the glory of Christ. And this is a wonderful gift to us because when I have God's love and as we see with the Thessalonians it's increasing, if I have faith in God and it's increasing, if my endurance you know, despite what comes my way, I'm sticking with the plan of God, the Word of God, faith, I'm praying, I'm, I'm chugging along. I'm applying God's Word to my life. Not perfectly all the time. Thanks for the grace of God, and I'm forgiven, but I'm, I'm plugging. There's a glory of God in me, in my soul, that I see. It's unmistakable. You say to yourself there's no way that I am able to be this person on my own. This is the love of Christ, the hope of Christ, the faith of Christ, the wisdom of Christ, the life of Christ, and you're living it. You know it. <clears throat> and I'll tell you why. In Romans 8:15, it says the Holy Spirit that has been given to us, he's God, third person of the Trinity is in us to witness to us that we are the children of God and if children, heirs also. So the Holy Spirit is in us to show us, make it real, witness to us, reveal to us that the life we're living is the glory of God. And there's nothing better than that. There's no amount of money, Sex, alcohol, drugs, gambling. What other sins do I like? Um, (coughs) Gossip, social media, Facebook time. How many friends you got? How many likes you got? How many people looked at your video and said, wow, that's awesome. Right? As we all portray ourselves in social media. If you ever see a picture of me on social media, my chin is up in the air. And you think, wow, Joe is a good pose. No, he doesn't want to show you his double chin. It sticks out in the camera. His little chin, turkey neck here. You know, I don't like it. We put our best foot forward. Why? We want to lie to the world and have them say, bravo, you're wonderful, All right? And as we click, click, it's been shown in studies as you click in in various either pornography or social media or wherever. The endorphins in your brain are going click, 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 click. And it's like a little button. It's like a little rat in the maze getting the pellet. And we become enslaved to it. You can waste decades doing that, you know. And the whole time, God has offered you this. And he said, would you like to see my glory in you? This is the glory of God now, Right? We understand, at least try to hope to understand what this is. It is a glory that is of the ultimate, the creator. It's the ultimate good. It's the ultimate love. It's the ultimate happiness, the ultimate joy. It's the ultimate everything that is good. He's given it to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is and has been a mystery before, only offered now in this age for the first time to the church. Only now is God indwelling us. Only now are we in union with Christ. Only now are we called those who are the children of God by birth. Only now are we in the presence of God without dying first. In the Old Testament, they all understood, and it was true. You had to die, and then you went into the presence of God. In this age, you don't die, and you're in the presence of God. Christ dies in your place. When he died on the cross, you died. That's what happened when you believed upon him as your Lord and Savior. And when he rose from the dead, you rose. And now you have his life in you. And that life can shine. So God has chosen to shine his glory in a fallen, evil world. He did not make the sin of this evil world, but he made it so. The sovereign God has made the world the way it is and the people the way they are without performing one act of sin, without doing one thing unrighteous, and without tempting anyone. We say, wait a minute, he tempted, did he? God says, Jesus said, God tempts no one. So we put Adam and Eve in the garden, made them perfect. So they're in a perfect garden, a perfect world. They have a life with God. They can eat from any tree of the garden. Tree's good for the eyes, good, uh, good to the eyes. You know? So they were pleasant to look at, which is soul stimulation. Pleasant to eat, physical stimulation. They had one another in a perfect marriage. The only one. Well, no, no, us with Christ. And, uh, and yet, yes, God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. But to their full comprehension now, he said to them, you eat of this tree, you will die. Do you understand that? And they did. Well, it's coming up here. I got it on a slide somewhere. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, you eat of it, you will die. As we know, the woman was deceived and they ate. The man took, she gave it to him and they ate. He created man and woman perfect in his image. And he warned them. After the fall, he warned Cain. Cain, after bringing the wrong offering, he said, Cain, sin is wanting to master you. God warned him personally. Don't let it master you. Do what your brother did. That's all he had to do. Do what his brother did. Instead, he killed his brother. Still too soon, Matt. too too soon. I'm joking with you, Matt. Uh, So, no. Yeah, right. So, what do do we have? God has set this up. Did he know Cain would kill his brother? Of course, he's omniscient. God has everything planned, decreed. The stuff that's going on right now in Washington and in the Kremlin and all these places and the, wherever, whoever the Illuminati are, we're controlling, pulling those strings. My man Tom Catronio went home to be with the Lord. We were just talking about him the other day. Remember Tom? You, some of you knew Tom, uh, a big Italian guy. Uh, he, used to, he used to call it the build Group. bear group. we were all like Tom. I think it's the build a group or Build-A-Bear, whatever it is. He'd be like, yeah, he was a thick Italian accent. He'd be like, yeah, forget about it, the Build-A-Bear group. Uh, God has it all planned. As soon as we roll into chapter 2, Paul is going to tell him, look, the second coming doesn't come until the Antichrist is standing in the temple claiming to be God. So no, he hasn't come yet. But why does Paul know that? Because God has planned it. This is done sovereignly. So when the bad things, the stresses, the tribulations, the trials, the temptations from within, your own genetics that are tempting you, that you're trying to overrun and, over, and control through the power of God, these are all designed so that you can do this. That's what it's for. There's no other reason. You shine forth the glory of God in the way that He has designed you to do. In your own particular way. You're unique, every one of you. Your gift, your ministry, your relationship with God, it all has its uniqueness to it. (laughs) It chokes me up. Uh, yeah, anyway, look at romans two five skip to Romans two five yeah it there's going to be times in your life it, it, it i i don't know how to put this keep rolling with God, keep walking with God. he's going to astound you. There's the ultimate astounding moment when we are going to marvel from within ourselves is coming. That's the second coming of God. We're in the second coming of Christ. We'll see that in a second. But until that time, there's going to be times, periods, if you, this promise is clear, if you keep following him. And there's going to be times where it's going to feel gray and alone. And these are trials. These are tests. You're going to, it's going to be hard. You're going to be tempted. It's going to feel like you can't do it. Uh, you're going to feel alone. And th- at times even that God doesn't even really care about you right now. And that's the silence of God that is also a test. And if God says, if you keep following me, you will find me. And along the way, there's going to be special times where only to you that God is going to reveal himself. One just happened to me the other day. I'm just astounded by it. But I don't want to shout because this isn't about me. This is about all of us. God is going to show you himself along the way. Now, for the Christians who are Searching for other things. They don't, they don't see those times. And this is what: are you going to lose your salvation? No. Uh, are, you gonna, are you going to, is God going to hate you and not love you anymore? No. You're eternally saved. But there's, you're going to miss those times. And why? But it's very obvious, and he says this, you love the world more than you love me. You love yourself more than you love me. So, what do we do about this? Bat you over the head. God give you a bunch of, I don't know, boils on your face. You walk into church with the boils on your face and we're like, oh, what's up, self-lover? <laughs> Had a bad Saturday night, did you? No, nobody knows but us and God. He's good like that. He'll you know, protect your privacy until he doesn't. But he And he'll discipline all of us. Like the children don't understand, right? But the, this is another great aspect of that. Because as, as we start to understand as children in this spiritual life, we're going to, you know, like children, when we become like teenagers and we start to figure some stuff out and then we get all self-conscious and... Uh, isn't it like, it's like the scariest thing in the world. Why is that? Because the childhood innocence is gone and we're starting to see some reality. And reality stinks. Fantasy was better. And when we get to know God a little more, we're going to have those times too. Because reality with God is a little scary. i tell you what, God is a little scary. That's why he said, tells us to fear him. But you've you just, you just got to have faith. The faith says, look, does my father have it all under control? Is my Lord coming back to get me? Do I have eternal life? Absolutely. Look at Romans 2, five. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation. Of the righteous judgment of God, this righteous judgment of God is the same phrase used in Second Thessalonians one five that we just read, who are rendered to every man according to his deeds. Notice that according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, immortality. All right, I haven't done that in a long time. I do that all the time. That T is important, isn't it? <laughs> immortality eternal life, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to every man who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. So, you see here that God is going to judge everyone and every deed. well we say here, whoa, it's a scary passage. I know. This is part of the growing up process. We see the scary path. I used to, I used to just turn the page. Say, Let's get to Romans 3 where it gets fun. Romans 3.21 is a huge turn in this book of Romans. That's the place you want to go. There's a butt there. <laughs> a good one. And, and this, and, but here it shows us, this is not God saying, look, salvation is by works. God is saying here that I am going to judge all and I have no partiality. So that you're either going to be justified by faith, but if you're not, then I am coming to judge this world. And all of this evil that we say, well, God, what are you doing? I am going to come and judge it. I am going to make it right. Don't stress out about it. Don't even complain about it. Can you imagine us not complaining about the evil in this world? That you'd spent an hour reading Fox News and you didn't complain once. God has purposed this path before the world was. Do you see him here saying, you know, do you get any indication that he's kind of like surprised at this unrighteousness and disobedience and selfish ambition? Is he surprised at this? Of course not. This is the way it's supposed to be. And you and I are in it. And therefore, we need to have spiritual discernment as believers. And godly perspective in order to navigate our way through this world. And as we navigate, not just survive, but shine. Shine forth. Uh, I promised, uh, so on our Zoom meeting, me and the girls. <laughs> it's me and uh, me and the women uh, on the Zoom meeting. And we decided to read... Uh, Corey Tenbaum's book, which I'm almost done with, uh, *The Hiding Place*. I highly recommend it. Highly. Um, I didn't even know it existed. People had told me that they read it years ago. Uh, it is wonderful, and if you read it a long time ago, I, I suggest you read it again. It's not. It's not a long book. It's not a hard read. But, um, and I promised them I wouldn't ruin it for them. You know, some of them are. I'm ahead of some of them, and but. When you read in that book the godly perspective of some of those women in the worst women's prison in Germany during World War II run by the Nazis and their ability to evangelize because they snuck a Bible in and they read from this Bible every day and every night and they have evangelized so many people in this prison that people are coming to the Lord because they're in this horrible place. And it's amazing. Right? And what are they doing? There's this, there's they first, I'm sorry, girls, but if I ruin this for you. But I just got through this. They come into this prison, and it's just a whole bunch of bunks. They're three high, and there's a huge room. And they just got there, this uh, 10 Baum and Corey and her sister. And as they're being led to their bunks, they've got to crawl over these to get to their bunks. They're covered in straw that is rotted and nasty. The whole place smells like death, and it's all covered in fleas. So as they lie down in their bunks, they're getting bitten by fleas. And it's just awful. And her sister says, quoting 1 Thessalonians, She's, Corey's like I, I can't I can't stand these fleas I'm not going to be able to survive the fleas, and her sister says to her, we should thank God for the fleas, and she's like, are you insane? And she says, no, Paul said give thanks in all things. Let's thank God for the fleas. And she's like, fine, crazy, you know. They're they're both believed, they're both devout believers, but Corey's sister is sold out, you know, like. Unreal. Anyway, so fast forward some months, and they're able to read the Bible in this place, and none of the guards come in to stop them. Like, they have freedom. They don't have freedom anywhere else, but in their barracks, they have freedom. Nobody comes in there to bother them. They find out months later that the guards don't go into the barracks because of the fleas. They overheard, some months later they overheard someone say, we, "We, you know, they were about to go in and one said, don't go in there, the place is infested with fleas. Thank God for the fleas. Do we know what God's doing? No. Does He know what He's doing? Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. Let your light shine. This, and you can do this every day, which makes every day an exciting journey with God. And he's coming back. Is it going to go on like this forever? Oh, no, 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 no. Go back to 2 Thessalonians 1.6. We're going to read about the apocalypse here, but it's not the one you might be thinking of. Now, this promise, does the world believe the promise that Jesus is coming back? Oh, they laugh at it. This, God gives a pro, this is a no-duh statement, but only believers believe this promise. Sounds pretty obvious, right? The bad characters, the trials, the problems in this world are not necessary for the existence of good. They are the backdrop for the shining of good. They're not necessary. But they provide the dark background for which the glory of God can shine. And when we look at them this way, and we shine. And look, when you shine the glory of God, part of the fruit of the Spirit is joy and peace. Right, and this—it's not just this struggle, you know. And at times it does definitely feel like that, but it's to be something that is joyous. To actually be thankful for the fleas while they're biting you. I don't know how you do that. I would struggle just as much as Corey did, but you know, it's—it's God is going to give us. He has. He has given us. He's given us Himself. So when we have Him within us, we can do this with joy. And we must hold ourselves to that level. You know, God holds us to that level. He doesn't say do this halfway or kind of trudge through it. We have to hold ourselves to the very level that God does. And so then when we don't live up to it, we don't have to beat ourselves up. But we should have something to confess. I'm saying, I, you know, don't tell yourself you're living the life when you're not. Because self-deception will waste years of your life. Wait, And I do mean waste. You won't be able to go back and get it either. I can't go back and get mine. And, and if you're in that situation where you're like, dude, I have wasted so many years. Just remember, this life is Infancy. Because if you have eternal life, you've got a long way to go. And I can give you further encouragement if I can hurry up here in the time that we have. Because if you can see something now before you die, before you exit this world, if you can see something, and you just, if you can see it before you go, I personally think it's going to give you eyes to see something when the Lord returns and and you know if if you're able to see it for years let's say you matured and you spent I don't know 20 30 40 years as a mature believer walking with God bravo and and you know I I think you'll be there, there's a reward for that that I, I'm going to touch upon a little bit today but um if you can see it, don't don't think that I'm too old. The, that's the point I'm making. That it's too late. I I think you can see it in a short time, depending upon your faith and your obedience to the one that you should obey. So, one six, Second Thessalonians one six. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. So you notice there's a flipping here. There's an actual, God is going to return or turn things back over the way that they should be. Things in this world are upside down. Those who shouldn't be afflicted are afflicted. And God says here, I'm going to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Now, you can't take that in any other way that God's going to do this. It's the wrath of God. But was, So who is this going to be to? And he says here plainly, these are unbelievers. These are people who have chosen not to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And for some of them, they afflict Christians. And they are going to be afflicted somehow. They Leave that in God's hands. I'm not going to even wager anything in that arena. I'm not going to say what God's going to do. It's just that God says he's going to do. So, after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted. And to us as well, because Paul and his crew are afflicted. When, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. It sounds pretty final, doesn't it? And here's the word for revealed. It's apocalypsis. Where we get apocalypse from, and it means to uncover. So the Lord now sits at the right hand of God, and this this is the second coming. It's pretty clear that this is the second coming, not the rapture, the second coming. And this is bodily, and apocalypsis is physical, and it's seen by all. Which the Lord Himself said in Matthew twenty four. Flashing forth east to west, the whole world's going to see this. It will be unmistakable. And this phrase, flaming fire, it's the same phrase that's used to describe the burning bush. Same exact phrase in Acts chapter 7 to explain, to dis, uh, describe the burning bush. And the burning bush is a theophany of God, and so what we have here is this judgment of a, it's God's judgment. And also mighty angels, so he has a whole retinue with him, and the Messiah himself, all returning to do what? To repay with affliction those who afflict you. And for us to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. All right, so that is through verse 7 time, I have to skip ahead here a bit. So, verse 8. Who are the judged? The unbelievers. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Now, just we have to be careful here with Paul's language so we don't assume something that's wrong. Who are those who don't know God? This is a phrase to describe the unbeliever. Uh, This is not like uh, a believer who didn't get a chance to do any Bible study or didn't do any Bible study. So, you know, you're not going to get the wrath of God on your head because you didn't. If you're a believer, there's nowhere in the Scripture that equates the wrath of God with a believer. Nowhere. Our sins were judged on Christ. We will not be judged. The calling upon... So, we'll see that coming up. So, those who did not know God, look at Galatians 4, 9. Paul writes, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it you turn back again? In other words, so you have come to know God, or, he says, being known by God, this is a phrase for a believer. So, it means you're... You know, God's omniscient. He knows everybody, of course. But this is a phrase that would depict a believer who is a child of God. All right? And those who do not obey the gospel. So the retribution goes to those who don't know God, unbeliever, and don't obey the gospel. What is the command of the gospel? Simple. Believe in Christ as your Savior, not of works, but by faith, lest any man should boast. It is the gospel's command is faith in Christ as Savior. And so they, the ones who have the dealing out of retribution, is the unbeliever. Now, and, and people get judgy over this to God about how people die. When you think about wrath upon a person, what if that person is like 105 and they die in their sleep in bed? Is that the wrath of God? No. We, have a, we said they had a good death. They had a good death. And we've put an age to that, right? And it? It's funny how we've done this. I mean, if you're in the Middle Ages and you say, well, they died at 45. Whoa, that, that was a long time. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when, <laughs> when mortality is, is 30-something. But in our age, you know, if you're you've got to be in your 80s, you, you know, we... So what we have done is good death and bad death. They had a good death. What we've forgotten as a people is that the problem is death itself. Right? Come on. Genesis 2, 17, and the day you eat from it, you shall surely die. The problem isn't when you die or how you die. It's that you die. We've forgotten this. They had a good death. You know, for us as believers, and we do this a lot. You know, we say, were they believers? And what comfort we have. And Suzanne, you will have this, as is I had it when my wife died. My first wife died years ago, 1995, a lot of years ago. And I know they're face-to-face with the Lord. I know this. Isn't it funny how we know this without a doubt? Having not seen heaven, seen the Lord, heard a word about it. Not about it, but we haven't audibly heard. Not like Paul who went to heaven and got to see it. But we know. And we also know that this is the problem. It's not how we die. How we die doesn't matter. Well, I'd like it painless. (laughs) I'm a bit of a wimp. I'm not good with pain. God, when I had COVID real bad, I was like, God, just please take me. Oh, well, I just had a fever. I'm such a baby. Put me in. A, that's why like God didn't have me born in, you know, a Jew in 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 Warsaw in 1942 because I would have just cried like a little baby. First uh, Corinthians 15:22, In Adam all die. That's the problem. Romans 5:21, Sin reigned in death. Paul's emphasis here is not on the manner of death. His emphasis is separation from God. And this is heartbreaking. We have here in the next line a preposition. Apo in the Greek. Apo means away from. And it's used twice by Paul. Look at verse 9. These, and who are these? It refers back to the previous Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the these in verse 9. The, these, unbeliever, will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. You can't get around that word eternal. It's the Greek word ion, and it means it. Eternal destruction. And here's apo, away from the presence of the Lord That Greek word is prosopon. It means the face of the Lord. Away from the face of the Lord and from, apo again, the glory of his power. I don't know about you, but that's heart wrenching to me. It makes me sick. Can you imagine Imagine an unbeliever is not given a lick about God Is not believed, obviously, is an unbeliever. Imagine that they die and they come to the judgment seat of God and it's there that they recognize for the first time that they could have spent eternity face to face with the glorious Lord and His glory and His power. And then they have to be separated from Him forever. You know, whether hell is a torture chamber or something like that, I, I don't even go there. Cause I, I just I take what the Word of God says. I hate the subject. I hate it. I came across it when I was studying this, and I'm like, oh, all right, I'll do it, Lord. <laughs> I don't want to. And you know what? If I don't want to and you don't want to, he doesn't want to. Let that scratch your brain for a little bit. God wills all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. First Timothy 4:2:4 or 4, 4, 4, 4, two. He wills all men to be saved. If this breaks your heart, it breaks His heart. And I know. So we say, why, does he, why do it? Why do it? Could he have done it another way? I'm sure. but could there really be another way? in the way that he does what he does. It's heart-wrenching. Now, do you hate your enemy now? Or do you love them and do good to them and pray them, pray for them as our Lord told us to? I don't care how bad they've been. Do you want that? I mean, this is the scariest thing in the world to me. I've tried to imagine it myself just to try and put myself in their position to think of myself as seeing the Lord and then Him saying, sorry, Joe, you can't be with me for all eternity. It makes me want to throw up. But it's an eschatological truth, meaning the last, the last days this judgment will come. Would the manner of death now matter? They died in a plane crash, or they died in a war, or they died an old person asleep in their bed, surrounded by loved ones. Would it matter? No. Same for us. Because, and I thank God that Paul doesn't end on this note, he keeps going. The same light that blinds some, illumes others. The same warmth of sun that hardens clay softens wax. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we trust God for His judgment, but we are also elated. Look at verse 10. Well, let's read 9 again to to have the whole context because Paul ends this thought on a high note, and I'm so grateful for it. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and away from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Uh, just want to, one thing to focus on here is the preposition n in Greek it's n it means in. Now in your trans if you have New American standard, the second in was translated among uh, it should be in they're both in what I what is meant here when he comes to be glorified where now glorified is passive it means that the Lord is going to be glorified but in Someplace. Where is in where? In us. Glorified in us. Glorified in His saints. So does that mean He's glorified because of us? Uh, that would make you the source of glory. That would be terrible. Glorified among us. What if it's among? Because N can be among. Well, that would mean that we're kind of like in a stadium and we're spectators. And that's okay, except we're more than spectators. We're His bride. We're in Him. It can mean by, meaning we're glorified by Him, meaning uh, we're kind of like mirrors that reflect Him. And that's okay. You know, we are to reflect Him. But that's not what's here. What's here is the, when Christ returns, the glory of Christ is going to be in us and in a way that we've never experienced before. So, this, magnify that by a million. If this is you now, it's not hot. If this is you now, magnify it by a million when the Lord comes with His angels and His flaming fire, and back in 1 Thessalonians 4, it's with the trumpet and the voice of the archangel, which really probably speaks of the rapture, but we'll get to that. That it is in us, in His saints, on that day, the day of the Lord, He comes, His glory shines through us. Can you imagine what that's going to be like, that experience? And will you see it? Continuing, and to be, read with me in verse 10, and to be marveled at. This Greek word means to be amazed, as we should be, and we will be. So will you see it, this glory? You're going to be amazed by it. Amazed by it. When when, uh, electrons pass through this filament, it changes the filament. That's why they eventually burn out. It can't go on forever. It's chemically changed. It's emitting electrons and changing. When the glory of Christ passes through us, we're changed. A mirror reflecting, the mirror doesn't change. The people watching a sporting event, if you're a spectator, they don't change. The event doesn't change them. You know the ducks always win and the beavers always lose. You, it, there's no change. No, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, the the event doesn't change you, but when the glory of Christ flows through you, you're changed. And perhaps this is why I've been dying to close with this, and I'm just in time. Perhaps this is the reward and crown that we've if you're like me you've tried to put your finger on that what is the reward in heaven for those who have longed for his glory on earth when they see it then it's something that they've longed for there for years and in fact they've seen it in time you've seen this you've seen it in time You've seen the glory of the Lord. You've seen his love. You've seen you're not playing games in Christianity. You've actually pursued the Lord, Lord and pursued his life and you've seen it. Now when that cuz glory is him. It's his essence. When that glory happens here, it is something that you're going to see that you have always wanted. Now imagine you're someone walking down a path somewhere and you stumble across some item on the ground and you don't know what it is. You pick it up, it looks like a rock, it's kind of shiny. You don't know that you're holding a precious metal in your hand. You say, eh, it's very nice. You put it back. Why? You don't know what it is. Say you're someone who knows what it is and you've been looking your whole life for it. Jesus told a parable about this. It's a pearl. It's a precious pearl. That when someone found it, he sold all that he had to get it. And you've been looking for that your whole life. You never really found it. You're not going to find it like this in time. But then at the second coming of Christ, here comes this glory and it shines in you and you marvel at it and you say, Aha, that's what I've been looking for. Can you imagine the difference between a believer who has not been looking for it, who is illumined by it, but is like, well, I don't know. I don't know what they're like. I don't think they're going to say, oh, that's nice. You know, I think it's going to be more than that. But if you have been looking for it your whole life, think of the reward of achieving it, of seeing it. To me, that's better than a, an actual crown that I can put on my head. I will actually see the one I have always loved and the one who I have longed to see. And believers who pursue the Lord, that's what they want to see. That's who they want to see. So, in light of this truth, now what is your perspective of this world? Do you want to complain about the sin and evil of it, about mankind, about believers and unbelievers? How do you view your enemy? Will and can you now love those who could be headed towards the lake of fire and separated from the presence, the face of the Lord and the power of his glory for eternity? And how would you like to experience the second coming? Wouldn't you love to see his face now? And we can. Not like we will see it then. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for your word. And we thank you so much for the coming of our Lord and the promise that is attached to it. We long for him. We long for you. And through your word, Father, we press on to see you, to walk with you, and to have that your presence as our very (coughs) light of our faith, the light of our path that we walk We thank you, Father, so much for the spirit within, for our Lord who has saved us. May we each, in our own way, comprehend what your word has taught us today. We ask in Christ's name, amen. (coughs) All right, time to pay the electricity bill. So i tell you how the Lord provides, right? So I get the idea for the light bulb. And I'm like, I know, I've seen them at Home Depot, these lights that have the, the cool little filament in them. So I'm like, I've got to get out of the house in time to get to Home Depot to buy a bulb. I found this. This was in her house, the lamp. And I'm like, <clears throat> and I'm running late. You know, I got Chris, who's... So selfish after surgery, you know. She wants water, she wants food, and then the kid gets up and she's selfish, you know. And I'm running out of time, and so I, I'm, I'm, you know, getting ready, and I'm in my bathroom, and I look up, and sure enough, there are four of these right above my mirror. They've been there for years, and I had never thought of it. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, and it's like the light. The light was like. Ah. I, So there it was. God provides. All right, so it's time to take our offering, and uh, let's just pray for our offering. We we thank you, Father, for the opportunity to give as your believer priests. We give in honor of you, in worship of you. The amount doesn't matter. You will always provide our needs, but we give to be gracious to exercise that wonderful gift of graciousness. Thank you, Father, and may you bless and bless us to use this offering to your glory. In Christ's name, amen. close in prayer thank you father for the opportunity to be together to worship you by hearing your word it's the best and uh by being able to sing to you together to glorify you together as you have meant it to be as the body of christ should be one and father we uh close our service offering to anyone listening who has not come to believe in christ as their savior if anyone is hearing me right now whether it's live or recorded Please consider who is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only Savior of the world. There is no other. No one has died for you. No one has been a substitute for you and been judged for your sins. Only Him. He is God, the only one qualified, who became a man. And I know it's hard to believe that God could become a man, but He did. And He died on a cross for your sins. And after He died... He is raised again on the third day, conquering death, conquering the grave, and now sits at the right hand of God. He will return, and He wants you to return with Him. What you have to do is believe upon Him. Not work. It's not about works. He did the work. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you will be saved. We thank you, Father, for your marvelous blessings. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.